we have recalled over the past two Lord's Days of our hope that God rests on that rest on God's promises of Christ's return and our peace that he purchased upon the cross that will soon be established forever. On the third Lord's Day of Advent, we light the pink candle to remind us of the joy that God promised and commanded for his people as they await the return of the Christ, the Good Shepherd. Matthew 2, 1 through 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. The Old Testament reading is found in Isaiah chapter 65, verses 17 through 25. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall, we, shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. And the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build, and another inhabit. They shall not plant, and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not destroy, hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. <clears throat> the New Testament reading is found in Philippians chapter 4. Verses 4 through 7. 
Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Paul is calling to a church that he planted back in Acts 16. He's calling them away from their daily anxieties that they are facing. He is calling them into a joy that can only be found in Christ. Jesus is also, or Paul is also preparing us over 2,000 years ago as a pastor. And he wants us to be prepared for what we are about to face. For something that our church is facing. That's something that is in our society and in our schools, within our homes. Situational anxiety. The church has not always done a good job speaking about such things, speaking about mental health issues, speaking about anxiety, depression. We like to keep things happy. We want to tell one another over and over again, everything's going to be okay. Rather than come alongside someone Admitting to one another, this life is hard. I once shared a quote with our students from Kevin Twitt. He is the RUF minister at Belmont University in Nashville. And Kevin has spearheaded this movement of indelible grace where he takes old church hymns and makes them relevant in the context of the younger generations. And on one of the albums... He says this, after coming across an old hymn written by Ann Steele, he says, this is surely not a song that would be written in our day and age because Christians are scared to say these types of things to God. He goes on to say that what makes his job so difficult, ministering to kids who have more than likely grown up in the church, is that these Students come to him and discussing their struggles and saying that they are convinced that they are not Christians because they have doubts. They are convinced they are not Christians because they struggle with anxiety and depression. His response to them, well, have you ever read the Psalms? His point is that we are lying to our children. We are lying to one another if we think that everything is happy-go-lucky. These students he is ministering to in college are longing for a place to take their struggles. They are longing for someone to talk about their doubts. They are longing for someone to hear about their anxieties and tell them they are not alone. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. 
I'm not saying the church shouldn't say everything's going to be okay. But we must help one another. We must help our students understand. We must validate to one another this life is hard. And as God's people who experience the ramifications of the fall, we will experience brokenness even in our emotions. But this passage this morning teaches us two different truths. The first one is a little bit harder for some of us to sympathize with because it's not something we struggle with in our own experiences. But this passage teaches us what to do with our anxiety. And this passage teaches us how we are to find joy in the Lord. In your anxieties, where do you go? In times when you're struggling with hardships, who do you turn to? Who do you ask for help? In following Paul's apostolic teaching, dealing with these anxieties every single day, as the Philippians are, we see that Paul always has Jesus near to his people. What God teaches us by his Holy Spirit in this passage, that we find joy in Christ. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say, rejoice. There is good news even if we suffer with anxiety. There is good news even if we're lonely. There's good news even when life is hard. Our joy is found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. This is where Paul points us. This is what Paul is calling to mind to the Philippians. And this is where he is leading us. Now what this passage does not teach is this is not a 10-step process of destroying anxiety in your life. It's not a self-help book for anxiety control. But this passage tells us where we should turn and where we should go. Before we look at this passage, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask you to be here with us this morning. You have promised that you would be. Lord, open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear. Lord, soften our hard hearts. Lord, we pray for your world this morning and the new regional mobilization hubs that you're setting up in the PCA to send missionaries around the world. Lord, may we be a church that casts a vision for sending missionaries, both foreign and domestically. Lord, we pray for our country. We continue to pray for Ridge Presbyterian Church in Paradise, California, that lost its church and every member lost their home in the wildfires. Be with them this Advent season. And Lord, as you tell us to pray in 1 Timothy 2, we pray for our president. Please guide him. 
May he be a man of honesty, truth, and justice. May he love mercy. May he show grace as our Father has shown grace to us in Christ. We pray for our sister's church, First Presbyterian Church in Dyersburg, and for Pastor Bill Evans there. Lord, may they be a beacon for the gospel that is found in Jesus. We pray for our own church. Lord, may we not ever forget about our families and parents at homeschool. Lord, bless them in what you have called them to do for their families. May all of us that don't homeschool come alongside them and encourage them and remind them of the hope that we have in the gospel. Lord, we pray for Priscilla Turner. Be merciful to her. We thank you that Jim Bennington is here. We pray for his health. We pray for Billy Griggs. We pray for Donna Osborne's mother, Why? Lord, we pray for John Sartell, for his leadership of our church. We lift up our officers, Bill Ray and Mike Atkinson and Blake Neal, Justin German, Ronald Jenkins, Russ White, Rick Abernathy, Tom Jeffries, and Ron Hopper. Thank you for blessing us with these men to guide us and to lead us. Men that continually remind us of our hope in Christ. We pray for our covenant children. May we remind them during this Christmas season, as hard as it is, that our only hope is in Christ. That our gifts that we receive for Christmas are just a small reminder of our gift of salvation that is only found in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray as you taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. On Christmas Day, 1967, these infamous words were released for the first time. Wish that I was on old Rocky Top, down in Tennessee Hills. Ain't no smoggy smoke on Rocky Top. Ain't no telephone bills. Once I had a girl on Rocky Top, half bear, other half cat. Wild as a mink, but sweet as soda pop. I still dream about that. Rocky Top, you'll always be home sweet home to me. Good old Rocky Top, Rocky Top, Tennessee. I have never said those words in my life before. Now, you don't have to be a Tennessee fan to know those words. But if you know those words, you can quote them by heart. When you hear those words, can you hear the tune in your head of how to sing the song? Do you still relic in your nice facilities, even though you sing those words? Maybe that song isn't special for you. In the Kenyan home the past few months, 
where there's never a shortage of impromptu dance parties, our children have been introduced to Michael Jackson. Not limited to thriller and beat it, always elicits immediate reaction. When the bodies of a seven, five, and two-year-old lose complete control as they dance to thriller, once the beat is dropped, dancing ensues. Whether it's Rocky Top or Thriller, these songs elicit a reaction, a response to sing, to dance, to turn the channel. <laughs> this is the exact same response that Paul is trying to elicit from the Philippians in this letter. When you hear the tune of anxiety playing in your ear, what do you do? If you know anything about the book of Philippians, you know the circumstances that the church finds herself in. Paul planted the church back in Acts. He was beaten and arrested and thrown out of the city. He is now in jail in Rome. If you look at chapter 1, the Philippians are facing oppression from the outside of her walls. Just a few verses before verses before us today, we see there's a split even inside the church. Their leader is in jail. Opposition from outside the church. Division inside the church. If there's any ever a church that should suffer from situational anxiety, the Philippians are it. But Paul calls them to do something other than to be anxious. He lovingly calls this church to go to God. And he does not do this with a blank statement of do not be anxious and leave them there to figure it out by themselves. No, Paul lovingly and pastorally guides them to God. To the God of peace. Paul reminds them of the great promises that we have received in the gospel of Jesus Christ. What we see in this passage to the Philippians' situational anxieties is that Paul calls the church to remember to go into the presence of God. For he hears us and he loves us. Just as these words of Rocky Top come into your ears, this should be our same reaction when anxieties begin to take over us. Run to the Father. Let your request be known to God, is what Paul says in verse 6. We must also understand that being anxious in and of itself is not sinful. We cannot draw the conclusion because Paul tells us not to be anxious, therefore it is sinful. This is not a one-to-one -one correlation. Just as you recall in Joshua 1, as the Lord continues to remind Joshua, be strong and courageous, that doesn't mean that Joshua was not strong and courageous. But it means that the Lord is calling Joshua to do something 
that he can't do under his own power. Paul is telling us the same thing. You will be anxious. Run to the Father. Do not be anxious. But when you are, run to the God of peace. Remember the promises in Christ. Remember our Savior in the Garden of Gethsemane as we looked at youth group a few weeks ago. Before Christ was crucified, where did he run to? He ran to prayer with the Father. And why does Paul lead us there? Because in the presence of God, we find our union with Christ gives us peace that we cannot find in any situation. It is eternal. It is all-powerful. It's constant. It's sure. And there, Christ will guard our hearts in our minds. I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist. And in my experience, there are often times when things like anxiety and depression are symptoms of chemical imbalances that need to be treated by medicine. And I don't think all types of anxieties and depressions can be solved with a simple do this and you will be cured. I do know that Paul knows what he's talking about when he says our first reaction should be to run to the Father. Anxiety is not merely a product of bad coping strategies. But in my experience, anxiety can be symptomatic problem of misplaced trust. Anxiety oftentimes shows that our hearts are set on something and that we are so terrified that if we lose it, we don't know what we're going to do without it. Do you struggle from these type of anxieties? Do you lose sleep over your finances? Do you have anxiety in social circumstances because you're afraid that people might actually find out who you are. Do you feel anxiety in your marriage? Is your marriage crumbling? Is a child becoming distant? Becoming secretive? Do you feel anxiety when you're alone? Paul says... Do not be anxious. Just because they are anxious. He's not reprimanding them. He's counseling them and speaking the gospel into their lives. When you are anxious, remember, you belong to the Lord. Jesus is our remedy for anxiety. Because in Jesus, we receive a joy that encompasses any situation we can find ourselves in. Salvation in Christ assures us 
that our anxieties will not last forever. Because the promises of the gospel tell us that when the Lord returns, our joy will be complete, not our anxieties. Jesus is the joy of our salvation that surpasses all understanding. In Jesus, we do not rejoice only because our circumstances. We rejoice because he is our Lord. We are commanded to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say, rejoice. But also remembering Joshua, this joy is not something we muster up ourselves. If you remember Paul's letter to the Galatians, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. The fruit, singular, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. These are not things that we just dig deep down inside of us and look for. These are things offered to us in the Spirit when we are united to Christ. And we get it nowhere else other than Christ. Paul is not calling us to muster it up on ourselves by ourselves. And he's not saying that we should base it, our joy, on our circumstances. The other night, I was watching a YouTube video of Late Night with Jimmy Fallon. It's my guilty pleasure. Don't make it be yours. Just leave it to me. And it was an uncut clip of Jimmy Fallon with Bradley Cooper. And I think it was from 2014. And in it, Jimmy Fallon is interviewing Cooper about a play that he is in, The Elephant Man. But during this clip, and I watched it twice, and I still haven't figured out why this happened, but they just started laughing. And they couldn't stop. They reset the scene, and then they just started laughing again. And then they both left. They both started talking about something else, and they came back, and they started laughing again. And then after about 10 minutes of watching this video of these two grown men laughing, I'm laughing with tears running down my face, and Jessica looks at me and she's like, what are you doing? <laughs> I was like, I honestly can't tell you. I'm just laughing because they're laughing. I don't even know what they're laughing about. But once you get the giggles, you literally can't stop. After 10 minutes, I was laughing and I had no idea why. This type of laughter is situational. It's circumstantial. It's similar to joy that we receive when we receive a gift on Christmas or a new car. Or as I experienced just the other day, a good friend of mine had a new child. Those type of joys are circumstantial. But the joy that we have in the Lord is not conditional. It is we rejoice because of the Lord's work on our behalf. It's not based upon us. Our joy is based upon Christ. Paul commands us to rejoice, not because of what's going on in our lives. He calls us to rejoice because Jesus was born in a manger. 
Because Jesus went to the cross to bear our sins. Because Jesus rose on the third day as he said he would. Because Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Because Jesus sent us a second helper, an advocate, to bear with our spirits. Not because of what's going on in our lives. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I'll say it again to remind you and over and over and over again, because we will forget to rejoice in the Lord always. What are some circumstances that you're having a hard time finding this joy in Christ? You know, Christmas time is really hard. Because usually it involves families. And those of us that have good relationships with our families often forget those who don't have good relationships with their families. The brokenness. The old wounds. The unresolved tensions. What Paul is calling the Philippians to, what he is calling us to, to rejoice in the Lord is unworldly. For it does not come from us. It comes from the Lord. Why do we rejoice? Because the Lord is good. Why do we rejoice? Look back, if you have your Bibles open, at Philippians 4. Look back at verse 3, the very last line. Because your names are in the book of life. This is exactly what Christ says in Luke 10. He says, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Our joy this Advent season is not dependent upon us. It is not dependent upon our circumstances. It's not dependent upon how you felt this morning when you rolled out of bed. Our joy comes from being united to the Son of God who saved us from our sins. This passage teaches us two truths. What we should do when we're anxious and how we are to find joy in the Lord. Where do you turn when you hear the tune of anxiety ringing in your ear? Where do you look when you run out of this joy that we are always to have. Paul's remedy for both of them are the same. Remember the gospel of Jesus. If you are without joy, ask for it. Our Father is listening. If you are anxious, lay it before our gracious Father. Run to the Lord. He is our peace. There should be no other place you should want to go. This practical advice doesn't come easy. In our experiences, sometimes we can view going to God as a band-aid. It's just going to be a temporary problem. And as someone who absolutely hates band-aids, band-aids are actually a really good thing. 
They cover the wound so more junk doesn't get into it. So more infections don't get into it. Running to the Lord should be our first step for healing. Because the Lord promises to be with us. Christ is our wonderful counselor. He is our mighty God. He leads us to the everlasting Father. He is our Prince of Peace. As I told our students once before, if you ever find yourselves anxious, really anxious, and you go to someone, and they come to you in the name of Jesus, whatever that might look like for you, and you confess to them your anxieties, your struggles, what you're worried about. And if they give you a blank statement of don't be anxious and walk away, you have my permission to spit in their eye. Because they don't understand what Paul is saying. He isn't saying just don't be anxious. He's saying if you are anxious, go to the foot of the Father. He is our peace. He points us to Christ. It's very hard to disregard anxiety as a lack of faith. But let's not burden those who suffer suffer with anxiety with more anxiety. I promise you, they don't want to be anxious. But as good brothers and sisters in Christ, we know where to point them. And guess what? We can go there with them on their behalf. Because we've been there too. What's hard about preaching about this is that if you don't know Jesus, you literally cannot find hope for your anxieties and your fears. You can have medicine. You can be given a 10-step process. But if you don't know the love of the Father in Jesus Christ and have the power of the Spirit inside of you, reminding you of the joy that we have in Him, you have no hope. But there's grace for you too, because our Father calls you by the name of Christ to come to Him and to believe in Christ. With my nifty-difty Bible software, I looked up every time that the word joy was used in the New Testament. And there were clumps, a huge clump is in Philippians. The two primary places I saw joy used in the New Testament was at the joy of the coming of the Messiah and the joy that we have when he will return. This is what we celebrate this Advent season. We are joyous. We rejoice because God was faithful in sending the Messiah when Christ was born. Emmanuel came to us. And we also have joy because even though Emmanuel is at the right hand of God the Father, he is still with us. And we rejoice because he will return. And then our joy will be complete. Please pray with me.
Father, be with us. May we cast our fears at your feet by the power of the Spirit inside of us because we do not have strength to do it on our own. Lord, may we remind one another of the hope that we have in the gospel. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.